Howdy, and thanks for tuning in to the Home Stretch Podcast, 101 plus tips for navigating assisted living and nursing homes. My name is Chad Schmidt, and here you'll discover the questions to ask from the researchers, professionals, and the institutions to help you make a more informed decision. In today's episode, I sit down with Lisa Boss. Yes, her last name is Boss, and she is a boss. She is the coordinator of the master's program at Sizzik School of Nursing at UT Health, located in Houston. And she was going to share some interesting research that she did on the elderly at a nursing home back in 2013 where she was learning about how they are handling stress, anxiety, loneliness, and depression. So I encourage you to stay tuned. The 33-minute conversation that we have, she has all sorts of nuggets of wisdom to share, and most interestingly, how you can get the most out of a visit with your loved one so that they can have a positive memory and experience when they leave because once you leave they tend to be very lonely so stay tuned now lisa you have all sorts of acronyms associated after your last name which is boss um and if people want to find out more they can go to our website and find out all of your education that you did. But why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi. Well, hello. My name is Lisa Boss, like we just said. And um, I am just a little bit about myself. I'm born and raised in Houston, so I've been around the city for a while. I've been a nurse for about 22 years. And so um, I graduated from UTMB in Galveston and then went right to work in the Texas Medical Center. I worked there for many years in the ER as my clinical specialty. And then at some point, I really realized I liked education and wanted to teach others as well as further my own education. So I got master's degree and doctorate degree. And for about the last 10 years, I've been teaching at UT um, Physics School of Nursing at UT Health in Houston. And I am currently the track director for the master's in nursing leadership program. But my research that I did starting in about 2013 or so was in the elderly population with loneliness and how that affects their brain function. Well, how come you decided to kind of take an interest in in this segment of the population? Well, that's kind of interesting. So I actually had the opportunity to get a scholarship when I got my PhD. So the scholarship was for a large sum of money, but you had to do the research in in their interest. And so it was the money was coming from a assisted living facility. And so that's what I, you know, that kind of pointed me in that direction, which when I look back at it, I think it was a good thing that it really wasn't my exact specialty because I went into it without any biases or any preconceived notions. And so I really could just really discover what was going on with them. 
So I think that was a good thing. So you previously had no or a very little or low level of interaction with the elderly population, and then you got this funding, and then you kind of dove right in? Is that is that what I'm understanding here or what? Well, it's kind of, so I was in the ER, so I had lots of interaction with all different age groups, but, you know, the ER is just crazy and emergency and trauma and everything, and so actually when I sat, the first time I sat down with a patient at the assisted living, I literally thought to myself, this is the first time in my career that I've actually sat down and with a patient one-on-one and had a conversation with them. So, you know, I had been used to the elderly, but just in a different way. Mm-hmm. Well, so I want to learn a little bit more about this research that you did. I wanted to reach out to you because as I started to look into this industry and how the need that is here already and the continuing need that is on its way, there isn't a whole lot of professional homes that are being used for a commercial purpose. There's some of these businesses that operate that way, and then there's also facilities, and there's big communities that are being built or that have been built. And there's a part of that business that the care, the actual nursing, and the day-to-day kind of in-the-trenches interaction with the resident. And then there's the actual business side. I've realized that Maybe we actually don't have enough qualified homes or facilities that actually have a good business model, and there's got to be an organization, there's got to be a school that's teaching this part of the business to be great at the administration of caring for the needs, whether that's in a hospital or, in this case, for an elderly person in in a community. So. As I started to ask around, because I do dancing and I got a couple of friends that, you know, are single and they can go out at night and several of them are nurses. And I asked one of my friends, her name is Brooke. I said, hey, I'm working on this podcast and I'm wondering if there's like a nursing school that actually teaches like a leadership track. And she goes, yeah, there is. You got to get in touch with UT Health. She lives, she works over in the medical center area where the children's hospitals are at and I was like okay so then I started to look online and I and she goes UT Health and uh, I, I started figuring out okay well what is it that you guys teach and who is the person that I got to get in contact with and that's kind of how I stumbled across your your name is by my friend who I go dancing with that said you got to look at UT Health because they're the ones that do some leadership training, and here we are today. So what is it that you at UT and the staff there, the administration, what are you guys actually teaching the students that are in your guys' class? Okay, so we, you know, we have bachelor's degree nurses, so these are undergraduates, so they are, um, they don't have their registered nurse yet, and so they get one class on leadership. That's really just a, a basic overview of behavior of a leader, professionalism, how to um, act, how to talk to people, how to handle handle yourself. So just basic information is what they get at the undergraduate level. But at my level, the graduate level, we have people, nurses, who want to be a leader 
at some point. So they want to be a nurse manager or a director of a unit. And so that's really who we target as our students. And so we teach them really how to function as a, a leader effectively as a nurse manager or a director. So we teach them, we go more into depth on the behaviors and the, how do you handle yourself? How do you handle other people? The HR part, how to do a quality improvement project, really the finance piece. How do you handle all of that? So we really just comprehensively prepare them to function in that environment. And then from there, we also have a doctorate in nursing, of nursing practice that's specialized in executive leadership where it even goes into more detail and they're prepared to work as a chief nursing officer really at the highest level. So, so let's get back into this research that you did. Yeah. So you, you get this grant or this funding and then you go into this world that you had, I guess you saying you previously didn't really know about or yeah. in, right? So, well, I was really influenced by my faculty advisor. So her name was Dr. Kong and she has a background in nursing. She had a PhD in nursing as well as psychoneuroimmunology. And really that field is typically they're looking at stress and how that affects the body. And so, you know, I was wanting to kind of incorporate the elderly and stress and how it affects your body, you know, just because she was an expert in that. And it's kind of a new up-and-coming field that really people haven't done a lot of research in. And so I initially settled on looking at measuring stress and depression just with surveys and then taking a saliva sample to measure cortisol and some other biomarkers and then testing their brain function to learn about their cognitive level in terms of memory and executive function. How can they make judgment, make decisions, and, and how all of that is all correlated together. Really, you know, we were moving forward with that, and then at the last minute, we kind of thought, it just seems kind of boring. So what else could we add in there just to make it more exciting? So we added in loneliness. And so then the final product before I went and did everything was to measure stress, depression, and loneliness, the saliva sample, and then their brain function. And it was kind of interesting, you know, we really didn't know what we were going to find, not only because we weren't that familiar with the population, but there's really not a lot of research done on loneliness in the elderly in particular. And the place, the setting for this was in a big, it was an actually an independent living apartment for elderly, but it also had some assisted living and then also some nursing homes. So it's actually three different levels of care. But most of the people living there were independently living, and I think they had about 300 people. So I put up signs that I had a study, and I was interested in talking to people about the main, those main variables, stress, depression, loneliness, and brain, memory function, and they just started calling me, you know, and I didn't really know who was going to call, if anyone was going to call, or if they cared, or what. But I ended up interviewing about 70 people. And so I would go into their apartment and sit with them for about two hours or so and talk with them while they had their surveys done and coach them on how to give the saliva sample. And, and then just also 
interact with them because they're really very interesting to talk to. So I just kind of interviewed them and just asked them questions and um, did that 70 times. <laughs> it only took about eight weeks. Well, when you talk to doctors or you, t- you try to get a research, usually it's centered around gathering data. Yeah. And how effective is this method working for this XYZ? There really is a little bit of, I think, a disconnect of the data and the actual feeling of the person. And that's really what I'm excited about, what you discovered and and what you're going to share is the feelings. Because numbers are great, but they don't really do a good job sometimes of telling the story because there's no feeling in the numbers. Right. So what you're going to be sharing in just a moment is how are these people that are in these assisted living environments, how are they managing day to day? Because what I really want to get down to is not only what it is you discover, but maybe even some tips later in the episode. How can somebody that's listening to this be able to make the time that they go to visit their loved one that more impactful? Because they're going to leave. And that resident, the ones that you had researched, is going to feel a certain way. And how do we maximize how they feel so that they have hope, they have excitement, and they're looking forward to the next interaction that they get with that person that came to visit them? Uh, I'm curious what what is it that you what is it that you found? Like how were these people that you interviewed? Seventy of them, I think you said, right? Yeah. What did you learn from that process? What What were they feeling? So it's kind of interesting. My advisor had told me ahead of time. She said they're not going to be stressed or depressed, but you know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna measure it anyway. And so I did. And of course, they were not stressed and depressed. So she was right about that. But they were extremely lonely. About half of them scored very high on the loneliness scale. And it was funny because when I was in there with each person, I knew if they were lonely or not. And so it wasn't part of the study, but then I would take it one step further and then say, well, why, you know, and start asking questions and start digging and to really try to find out what's going on. So on top of them being lonely or not, the ones who were lonely also had worse brain function as well. So for me, that meant that they couldn't remember short-term memory. Some of their long-term memory wasn't as good. Their judgment and decision-making wasn't good. And that's really a big concern for people who are living independently because we need them to keep their judgment and their decision-making as sharp as possible so that they can remain living by themselves. You know, that's things like, you know, turning off the oven or turning off the stove and being able to take your medications and being able to manage your finances and things. We really want to make sure they can preserve that over time so that they continue living alone, which is better for them, you know, living independently and um, preventing them from having to go into nursing home or assisted living if we can. So when they have better health, then I would say, well, and I mean, these some of these were 90-plus years old. You know, I would say, well, how are you doing so good at this age? You know, what's your secret kind of thing? And so they would um, 
share with me what they thought their secret was. And it was interesting because it was one after another always said God or religion or their faith or their beliefs is really what got them through, you know, their feelings of loneliness or whatever they were feeling. One thing that was really interesting and it really inspired me for my following study, but was that these people, like I said, lived in this big apartment type of place and there were about 300 of them. And the people, the owners did a really good job of planning activities for them all day long. So they had um, choir and art and cards and just all kinds of stuff for them to do pretty much every hour. So they could probably choose, I mean, they could do eight activities per day if they wanted to do something every hour. And it was actually sometimes kind of difficult to schedule a time with them because they weren't willing to miss their one o'clock card game or whatever it was. But that was really kind of interesting that even though they had all these people around them and all these activities, at the end of the day, they were still lonely. And so it really supported that thought, that saying that you can be lonely in a crowded room. And then on top of that, most of them were women. Most of them were very old. The average age was 85. So these were very old women. They were mostly widows as well. And so just from my conversations with them, I really felt like, you know, they expected that their children would grow up and move away. And that's what we all expect. That's our normal you know, that's what we expect is going to happen with our kids, but they didn't really ever expect their husband would die. And so even though they were playing cards and eating lunch and just having this really nice social experiment or experience, they, the people that they were with weren't the people that they wanted to be with. So they cared about their friends, you know, in the way that we care about people. But at the end of the day, they went back to their apartment and they were all alone and they didn't have their spouse or whoever they really wanted to have. And I think that's really what struck me as the issue. They didn't plan for their spouse or their partner to die. Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, so I would just go in. And so they already knew that they were going to talk about loneliness. That was a part of the study just because it was on the flyer. And so you know, I just went in and I, and so I think that's what attracted certain people to it is that they wanted to talk about their loneliness. And so when I went and talked to them, you know, we would just go through the stress and the depression and the loneliness. And typically they would talk, talk more about the loneliness. They would cry about it. And then, you know, I would just ask extra questions like, you know, what is going, you know, what is it about living here or, or what is it specifically that's making you feel lonely, you know, because, you know, you, you might talk to your daughter every day on the phone or whatever, but what is it, especially since you're surrounded by all these activities, you know, that should be enough, right? But once they started talking to me and we started digging into it, it was really, you know, my husband died 20 years ago. It was, it was always about their spouse not being there. And, really just the way that I could sum it up was that they had a great time with these people during the day playing their games and their cards and things. But when they went, you know, at the end of the day, their husband wasn't there and 
that's who they thought that they would grow old with and that's who they wanted to be around and just share time with every day. Some of them would say, you know, we're just here playing cards and stuff and just waiting to die. And that was just heartbreaking to hear because the people, the people there who were working there were doing their best and were trying to make the elderly so happy and trying to give them a good life that it, it really wasn't what they wanted deep down inside. I remember a lady in her 90s who her husband had died in his 60s. And so she didn't think that her last 30 years would be alone. You know, you maybe think, well, maybe they'll die and it'll be a couple years I'll be alone or something. But she never thought for 30, the last 30 years of my life, I'm going to be alone. And so I think that's really where it hit them because a lot of them were at least 10 years they'd been alone, 10, 20, 30 years. And it was a really long time. That's a long, it's a huge part of your life when you didn't think you're going to be alone. My grandmother, before her mind started to dwindle even more and more, she was kind of a financial, you know, pay the bills for her stepdad who lived in Detroit. And I remember Jim had lived at an assisted living community. He had a girlfriend, and the girlfriend was at a different community. And she would come over and visit him, and he would go over and visit her. And he lived, I don't know exactly how long, but he had a lot more life in him because he had somebody to look forward to seeing that he had a partnership with. It wasn't a marriage. I can't imagine that there was a whole lot of sexual activity that was going on between two 90-year-olds, but there was a a different level of affection that they were able to get from one another that you can't get from somebody that's a child, somebody that's a a friend. So it sounds like that's kind of where they were missing is that person that they could be affectionate with. I think so. And there were just a few, maybe one or two couples that were there who were in the same situation. They weren't married, but they just lived together. And it was just this companionship, you know, that they benefited from. And then in in that situation you just described, it's so important to have someone that age getting out of bed, getting dressed, going somewhere. You know, that physical mobility is another piece of it that helps them stay well longer and help keep their brain active. So it does make a big difference. Well, because you you said just earlier that these people that were lonely, now we don't know exactly how many people saw the ad that you had, but we do know that 70 of them responded. So they were the ones that were at least admitting the truth that they were lonely and comfortable enough or courageous enough to actually talk about it versus either not recognizing or admitting to the fact that they're alone. But then the other step is not only that I'm alone, I don't really want to talk about it. So this small segment of people that you were able to interview with, did they have a companion? Because you also said they knew that this is what, this isn't where they wanted to be. And they knew that they were just waiting around to die. Yeah. So most of them didn't have companions. There was only about two or three couples out of the 70, so that was a small percentage. 
the rest of them were either males or females who were single, you know, and then they just had their friends that they hung out with during the day, certain friends, certain groups that shared certain interests with them. This, or this living situation in particular, they, they took very good care of these their people who were living there. So not only did they have, you know, all these activities every day, but they also had breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they had a, it was like a, it looked like a restaurant. So you would go in there and sit with white tablecloths and they would come serve you. So it was very, very upscale in terms of the social experience as well. And I really don't think, I can't imagine how they could have done it any better in terms of providing social experience for them. So that, okay. to me, is why it really stood out that it, it just wasn't, it still, no matter how good it was, it wasn't what they wanted deep down inside. Well, it, it's funny because there's a there's a lot of people that are possibly listening right now that are saying, I want the best environment. I want high class, a lot of interaction. I want you know them to have activities to do. And yeah. those are all really important things to consider. But based on your research that you were doing, that isn't a key component to their overall satisfaction. Right. And so what the actual definition that I used for loneliness was not was the level, the degree of satisfaction you have with your social contact. So it also wasn't the number of people that you come in contact with. It's really the satisfaction that you have with the people that you come in contact with. And so it was just completely opposite of what you would think. You know, you're thinking, like you just said, this really nice place, it's clean, it's great. I mean, I really couldn't come up with a better place. That's exactly where I was going to put someone and where, where I'd have a loved one. It's a perfect place. It was. It met all my standards. It exceeded all my standards. But like we just said, at the end of the day, they were just friends with these people and they liked them, but they weren't 100% satisfied with the social relationship that they had with them. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point that I'm glad that you were able to identify and, and also connect and measure, it sounds like, because we don't think about that. We think about yeah. ourselves. For my grandmother, I got to the point where I, I was angry and not angry at her. I had to identify, I can't do the things that I would love to be able to do with my grandmother anymore. My grandmother loved to go shopping and she loved to travel. And there was a point where she was no longer able to walk and she was no longer able to get in a car and not inconvenience everybody, but I yeah. got to the point where I was like, Graham, I'd love to be able to go on a vacation with you, and, you know, we want to go on a plane ride, and you, you're not able to do that right now. Right. And I'd, I'd love for you to be able to get physically in shape to be able to do that, but I can't make you get in shape. I can't right. make you want to do it. That's a decision that you have to make. So I got to... I had to get to this point of acceptance where I have to be there for my grandma. Right. I have to take my initiative out of it and what I want because it what I want 
may not necessarily be what she wants. Right. And her actions are going to show whether or not she actually wants to go shopping or go on a on a trip, or maybe she just doesn't have the mental capacity to think about those steps. But for you and this research, you know, they they knew that they were just sitting there passing the time. Yeah. Yes, but they were actually in pretty good shape physically because they were up and moving around and. You know, I was I would be surprised that these 90-year-olds had on pantyhose and full makeup and hair, and I thought, I don't even wear pantyhose. You know, they're really doing good. <laughs> you know, so they had a lot of physical activity, which is keeps you young and keeps you going. So they were very – they were in a good situation that way when I compare them to my other population that I studied, which were the homebound elderly. So these are people who are physically – unable to leave the house so they're really just at the house all the time and so these are people that would get meals on wheels that type of service they were in much worse shape physically because of their physical health which is ultimately just contributes to their overall decline so based on all of this research that you did now that you've been able to you've met with all these people and you heard their stories did they ever share with you what it is that they wanted that would make them actually feel less lonely? I, I I don't even know if there's a what's the opposite word for less lonely. Empowered maybe? I don't really know. Did they talk did you get into that at all? Yeah, I mean some of them would you know, but the only answer is bring my husband back or bring my wife back that was the only thing that would make them feel better. You know, they can, because there were some that their parents or their kids did come by and visit them every Sunday, and they appreciate that, and they love that, and they like seeing their grandkids, and that fulfills a part of them, but it's still not the part that they expected to be filled or what can be filled by their spouse, their long-term spouse. And so it was that affection that they were seeking. And you said a moment ago, I think, about how the, the three or four people that did have a relationship, did, did those people not even have any feelings or less feelings of loneliness, or did they experience that as, as well? Yeah, they didn't, have, they didn't have loneliness. I don't think, like you said before, I don't think their relationship was even sexual. That's not what I got from it, but it was just that they – have this companion that they could share their deep thoughts and feelings with that was in their same age group and in their same generation, you know, because they might not share those deep thoughts and feelings with their kids because they don't want to, you know, if you're really thinking something sad, you don't want to tell your kids because they're going to get all upset, you know, but they could talk about that type of thing with each other if they needed to. And they just really understood where each other was coming from. And so they, those people were not lonely. They were in very good shape. Well, hey, if if I had a grandpa that was alive and is still able to have sex with, you know, somebody <laughs> that's his own age, I would be giving him high fives. I'd be like, man, you are living the dream over here, man. Yeah, so I didn't ask them specifically, so maybe they are, but. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it that you were able to gather that, there's a person that's listening to this 
they're taking care of their dad who's 87 years old and they're in a community how is it that they're supposed to get the most out of the interaction with them so that they they maybe don't feel lonely or you know how that's the question that i think not only myself even though i don't have a grandparent and i'm not in that situation but our listeners that are in this situation how is it that they enrich and make the moment that they have left or the moment that they're going to go visit that loved one more abundant? So that's a really good question. It is something that I thought about a lot, you know, because I thought, well, what can we do? We can't really replace their spouse, which is what they ultimately want. But I really think they did benefit from the family interaction. And so that was fulfilling for them when their kids would come by or the grandkids but then you're also it's also a problem or difficulty with kids and grandkids because our lives are so busy but I think now a solution would be the video chatting or the FaceTiming so even if you couldn't go by and see them every day maybe you could at least have a quick phone call where you could see them and they can see you and you're just checking in to see how they're doing and uh, I think they really do appreciate that, even though it doesn't fulfill them 100%. It does fulfill them. So I think, I really think that's the best thing that you can do. If you can't go by and actually spend time, just call them and, and check in with them. And, and they do appreciate it. I think any sort of communication with them is valuable. And, and most likely the more frequently, but it doesn't have to be for hours every day. It can just be a quick check-in, a quick five minutes, just to see how you're doing today from different people. So, for example, I could, I'll could i take Mondays. You can call her on Tuesdays. So-and-so will do Wednesday, you know, just so it's, a, so it's not a burden and too much of a problem for one person to do it all the time, but they're hearing from lots of different people. Well, I, I, I'm really thankful that you had so much to offer and share with our listeners. Is there is there anything else that you think would be valuable for, for anybody that's listening to know? I think one thing is that we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves. You, you might think, well, I should go there every single day, but that's really difficult when you have a job and when you have teenagers or kids and things to do. But I would just don't be hard on yourself. Just do the best that you can do, and, and it is appreciated. Thank you so much for, for all of these little nuggets. I can imagine there might be some small details that some of the listeners might be already implementing and maybe some new ideas that they never really considered on how to how to really make the most out of the remaining moments that they have with their loved ones. I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful that Lisa actually took the extra steps in her research to ask just a few more questions. And not only that, but that she made herself available to share those findings in her research with you. And thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I encourage you that if you liked what you hear, Consider subscribing to this podcast on whatever platform that you're listening on. And while you're at it, you might want to take us visit over to our website at www 
www.homestretch101.com and there you'll not only find links to the videos that we have that work in conjunction with some of the material that we've recorded but also the upcoming guests and if there's a particular topic that you want covered you're welcome to submit an inquiry on that website and with that said the time that we have with our loved ones is precious and you never know when it's going to end so tell somebody that you love them today and may the remaining moments that you have with your loved ones be abundant and joyful until our next conversation I wish you good health and eternal love and have a beautiful day.